right, coming to you from the Associated Foundations Training Center aboard the Battleship Iowa, it is another exciting episode of Scuttlebutt, the podcast of the National Museum of the Surface Navy. My name is David Canfield. I'm the Chief Information Officer, Chief Technical Officer for Pacific Battleship Center and the National Museum of the Surface Navy. And joining me today are some of our usual cast, uh, Mike Getcher. Hey. <laughs> our producer, <laughs> our producer, Marianne Fangler, and uh, joining us in the studio today are uh, Dave Badgett, who is a retired assistant chief from LA City Fire Department, which I've been told is the more appropriate uh, name for LAFD, and uh, Kent Coble, who is a retired battalion chief, or sometimes called division chief from Santa Monica Fire Department. That was um, well melded. It was. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. So we were just discussing how Marianne, I think, is the only person who does not have chief somewhere in their title. Mike, Mike's a chief engineer. I'm a retired Navy chief. We got a couple fire chiefs. Yeah, I feel a little deprived right now, but none of you is a producer, so whatever. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. So um, we wanted to get together today and talk a little bit about some reflections on 9-11. We're coming up on the anniversary, and uh, we have some first responders who are big movers and shakers here on the ship and our volunteer crew. Uh, and I'll just open it up for you guys to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that day. Uh, apparently they're pointing at me, so I guess I'll go first. I'm Dave. Um, I didn't realize that 9-11 was going to be first on the agenda, but Surprise. Uh, it was first on my agenda that day, too. Okay, 9-11, amazingly, 21 years ago. I was wow. the assistant chief at that time in charge of all the training functions on the fire department, so the hiring the rookies and all that other stuff. I was uh, pulling into my spot at uh, O-Dark 30 um, at work that morning. I was listening to... The news that was talking about an airplane at the time thinking a light airplane that had crashed into one of the World Trade Centers, and there was a lot of confusion. As I pulled into the uh, gated area, a couple of other staff members that had got there at, oh, darker 30, um, met me at the car saying, hey, open your office because there's a TV in there. There's something going on in New York. I said, yeah, I've been listening to it. So we went inside. At the time, I was a part of the FEMA um, Urban Search and Rescue Task Force out of LA City Fire. Um, I had been on it for 25 years, and it, I was my function then, having gone through all the other places, I was a, what's called a task force leader, so one of the people that could be in charge of the team. Um, opened the office, they turned the TV on. Um, it was obviously more than a light plane, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the call down came out that the FEMA task forces were going to be deployed and we were there's a process you go on standby then you go on deployment and so on I won't get into that weeds but uh, we were notified that we were up and we we're going um, you have grab gear that's always packed they call them red bags um, so the team members started getting notified including me and we grabbed our red bags and then they, the second plane hit and it was an absolute and uh, we went through the deployment process like going to war it's exactly like going to war in fact having been at a war um, it was messier than the war that I was in yeah. that's uh, and that's saying something I, uh, I obviously was not a first responder but you and I share uh, some background on little green boats Yep. and uh, I was stationed in a Navy special warfare unit and I remember I woke up to a phone call from a friend of mine who said, um, turn on the TV. 
And so I said, so I turned it on and I said, that's terrorism. And he said, why do you always go there? You always go there, you, you know, you people in the military, blah, blah, blah. And as we were arguing whether it was terrorism or not, the second plane went in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, I got to go. And uh, I got the call from my unit about an hour later. And we were packing up uh, also to deploy elsewhere to do other things. What was your experience, Kent? Did you, were you at duty that day? Or? Yeah, I, I'm Kent, and uh, it's a whole lot less exciting than my story <laughs> than what's been told on the previous two. Uh, I was off duty, so I was awakened with my wife turning on the TV, and we saw the planes into the towers. So I was on shift work at the time as the A platoon commander, and so I just happened to draw a day I was off. So don't remember too much. Uh, we didn't have a, a recall I came into duty on my regular schedule and uh, took care of business. Santa Monica had some members, part of FEMA uh, task force, and they were starting to get ready to go also. And that's about it for me. You know, it's one of those events in life that you just, you know exactly where you were uh, that day at that moment when you found out. Literally, I could tell you the, the space of the road was at 100 feet where I was driving. I was working at the aquarium at the time heard the stuff on the radio, pulled up into the, the parking lot there at the at the aquarium, and there was already a cop car outside. I mean, uh, they kind of came by later. We, we closed for the day, obviously. Um, at least, maybe not so obvious to some folks, but we did. And, of course, they shut down the skies. And so that all of the aircraft in the entire nation were grounded within hours. And uh, I'll never forget that silence. It was, it was amazing. And over the next few days, you could hear the F-15s or the F-16s going over as an air cap, you know. Uh, combat air patrol, literally a cap patrol over Los Angeles, Long Beach, where I was at, which is kind of a stunning thing to think about as a citizen, certainly in our age. But I'll also comment, I had this conversation earlier about my mom who passed away at 87 in 2005. Um, she remembered Pearl Harbor and she was triggered. And a lot of people were because that was the kind of feel that you had, you know, suddenly America was under attack. You know, on the statement you just made about pulling all the planes out of the air. It actually complicated the deployment for the out of the LA, or excuse me, out of the New York area to New York. And our team ended up getting broken up and, and went in different aircraft. But the aircraft that I did not go on, that much, much of the team did go on, I went with an advanced team. Um, the pilot, when they were probably going over Arizona about then, they were escorted by a 16 and they were on a big, mm-hmm. you know, C-50 or... Um, C-5. Wow. And um, the pilot came out. Of course, there's no windows there. You know, those, you, yeah. you go as cargo when you're on those planes. It's not real comfortable. Pilot came on and he said, I just want to share with you guys that I've never seen anything like this before. He said, we are the only aircraft that is in the air anywhere in the airspace other than those 16s that are left and right with us. Yeah. He said, this is a weird feeling up here. It was weird. I, I walked out in front of the aquarium uh, the next morning, and of course the cops would come by every morning in Long Beach PD, and <clears throat> just you would stand there, and, and just every once in a while, every fifteen or twenty minutes, you'd hear a, a jet fighter go over, you know, two or three actually. Yeah. And it just it's it's a stunning. It's this weird silence followed by that roar, and you just kind of go, "Wow, something's really different." Yeah. It's uh, they say that um, you recognize normal when it's not there anymore. Yeah. Right, and, and it's uh, the abnormality of that. 
and the weight of that day. I mean, I, I obviously remember exactly what was happening. I was expecting to get a call from my reserve unit, which I did. Uh, but the other thing that struck me was my uh, my oldest boy was three, and uh, we had gotten him a little navy uniform. That will choke up when I say this. Uh, and he showed up in the living room in his uniform. He was ready to go. Oh. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just an amazing day. I mean, that next week, of course, as you recall, was just really odd. People were trying to figure out what to do, just keeping, like, I was working in an attraction in a public aquarium. What do you do? Do you open up? Do you not? And then everybody was suddenly uh, hyper aware of, of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the smallest thing. I remember getting a call some week or two later, somebody asking for um, AutoCAD prints of the aquarium. I'm not joking. Really bizarre. I was on the phone to the FBI that week. You know, and, and uh, they took notes, and it was just kind of an odd time. It, it changed the world in not just the immediate way, but in longer-term ways, too. It really did. Some some of the changes that were immediate, I'm kind of sad to, to see fade away. And one of yeah. the things that I noticed was uh, on 9-12, every house on the block had an American flag flying. Yeah. And we put our pettiness aside for a year and actually yeah. acted like we were on the same team, which mm-hmm. was... A wonderful thing that sadly went away. Yeah. You know, I want to comment on that because I because I'm listening to nas- national discourse right now, and I find it um, I'm going to be very blunt. It's incredibly annoying. You know, we had we've had two different uh, either presidents or president uh, candidates here aboard the ship, and of course four others before that. I think um, right. three others, well, three, one, two, three, four. Anyways, you know, it, it can be divisive in some ways, but. Really, the, the ship is kind of special to me, for the most part. We kind of act uh, more like Switzerland, what actually what I believe to be America to be, which is you put aside your differences when you have a visit like that, even from an opposing party, and, and you can get your head around that. And that happens here more often than not, and unfortunately I don't hear that much. You know, it's the big crises that drive those types of agendas right now in the political arena. That's not what you're hearing. It's act- I'm sorry. It's actually a great segue, if I may, um, I don't know that most people would know this, but between the West Coast and the East Coast, there are some differences, yeah. kind of noticeable. Mm-hmm. Part of that is in the public safety arena. And, um, you know, firefighters are firefighters to most people who aren't firefighters. Um, but we do business differently on the West Coast than they do on the East Coast. The The bottom line's the same. You go to the emergency and you try to make it go away. But other than that, there's, there's some differences in the way you do things. We got to 9-11 in the middle of the night and because I was a team leader, they took me right down to the site, what we call the pile, what everybody else listening to this probably calls something else because the media called it something else. Um, uh, but when I got there, I mean, visibility was virtually almost zero. It's just, it's like being in the heaviest fog that you ever, ever in only you couldn't breathe on top of it. And it went down to where the New York incident commander was and uh, the sound level was beyond belief you know we were yelling at each other from a foot away trying to talk Um, but we were foreigners because we were from a west coast fire department and one of the things that we had to get through not not with that individual but as i was there for two weeks or my team was there for two weeks um, that took about three years to go by but um, the it took days to get accepted as not some volunteer fire department that was showing up because the East Coast has a low opinion of volunteer fire departments, even though they have lots of them back there. Um, And to be part of that greater team, because 
you choked up. Now I'm going to. Um, the to be accepted as part of that that overall team, that we were just the fire service responding to this incident, that 343 firefighters got killed, not New York firefighters get killed. I'm going to leave. Next. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back to you. Yeah, yeah that, that's tough. Yeah, you know, almost immediately it seems like in my memory, maybe it's flawed now, <laughs> getting older, but, you know, the, the flags started flying in all the, the rigs around here. Yeah. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that pretty clearly, yeah. too. And the solidarity that you had with, with uh, firefighters across the nation is profound, and it still lingers to this day. Mm-hmm. Or not, lingers is not the right word. It stays. It's stuck. It is part of your culture now. Yeah. It's actually one of the really good outcomes. And, and with law enforcement, too, um, all those people that wore uniforms, and you know, as the days went on, it, it, you know, initially there were no fences. There was no security. It was just... It looks like ants on a sugar cube um, uniform and not uniform. Uh, and as time went on, it became more and more formal uh, to the point that I think by the second week I was wearing like five different ID cards. But um, the all these other agencies, you know, and all of the branches of the military were all there. And it was hard to find consistency in how things were being managed because there was a lot of concepts, a lot of ideas, and a lot of confusion. Um, so you'd go to, for instance, one gate, and the Marines would be the security people on that gate, and there'd be a strip search to get in there. <laughs> Not literally, but almost. Even though you're in uniform, you've got you know all these IDs on, and sometimes, several times during the day, there'd be a different color sticker that would go on your ID that you'd been through this already, but even though you had the green sticker that was an hour ago, you had to, to do it all again. And then you'd go half a block away and you'd go through the gate that's being monitored by New York PD or, um, come the, on, yeah, color sticker. <laughs> yeah, no, come on in. You know, oh, you're in uniform, come on in. Um, oh, yeah, I saw you yesterday. Uh, but, uh, you know, big incidents, lots of players. But by the time it was over, or over for us, um, that team got built more and more. It became more like a, you know, on a baseball analogy, what you guys know I use all the time like an all-star team. Oh, you, you play for the Yankees and I play for the Dodgers and yesterday I hated you. Today we're on the all-star team. Yeah, you throw the ball to me, I throw the ball to you and we try to beat those other guys, right? That may be one of the other lasting effects at the national level. <coughs> Excuse me. Dog on hot dog. But, um, you know, some of the, the three-digit uh, acronym yeah. groups within the, the nation who mm-hmm. didn't speak to each other all that well. Yeah started to talk they had to yeah. and i've heard that repeatedly from numerous places in fact just here locally i'm not gonna i don't remember where i think it's in cyprus there's a uh, a location where they actually share all that kind of information now um, so when we have major events here in the port of los angeles that's the um, they're called fusion centers and yeah, yeah mm-hmm. essentially yeah it's it's wonderful yeah yeah, or JIC. JIC is or the other yeah, word. Yeah, the military joint, side, yeah. Yeah, Joint Inter- Information Center. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because one of the things we do here is we do Fleet Week, and one of the big things that happens during Fleet Week that people, I think, the, the pub- public does not see is the DISCA event, which is uh, Defense and Support of Civilian Authorities. And uh, a lot of what happens in DISCA came out of 9-11. It's how, mm-hmm. how do we learn to work well together in those times when we have to work well together Mm -hmm. because it's never, Oh, Hey, we're having a great day. Let's work together. Uh, it's, it's always at a point of crisis every time. Uh, And, um, and I think that some of the lessons learned there do come back out and it is interesting. Some of the lessons learned we've, we've, you know, danced around the unity of the nation and whatnot. 
I find it interesting. You mentioned that we had a couple presidential candidates or presidents on board here. Um, they were on opposite sides of the aisle. And in both cases, uh, we had volunteers quit in protest that they were here. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I just chuckle over that because I'm like, this ship protected the nation, one nation, one flag, one country, one people. And uh, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you sit on. We're still part of that nation, and we lose sight of that at our peril. We really do. Yeah, and kind of backing that up, unfortunately, with um, first responders, we do a lot of first responder training here. <clears throat> and it's funny, I'll, I'll tease you a little bit. You know, L.A. County comes out here for their... Um, Who? <laughs> <laughs> and L.A. City, too, and Long Beach, you know, and, and all the local fire departments, the different jurisdictions with their USAR teams, the urban search and rescue teams, or, or the special heavy rescue teams, or whatever they might be. We also do training with the FBI, with, with the LAPD, the LA Port Police. Uh, we've probably had 30 different jurisdictions on here over the years, including... Um, I think it was Customs and Border Protection. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to get criticism online about different jurisdictions that we were working with. It was just absolutely uh, amazing to me. You know, we're open to that. You know, these jurisdictions are, are, are as much political entities as anything, and they're, they're trying to follow the rules of the road. You know, why not provide them with uh, the foundation of, of great training? It's a great facility. It's a really unique space. It's perfectly suited for that. So we do it. And if I can tag on to that, for anybody listening... The perspective from everybody in uniforms, I don't care what uniform that is, is all of those jobs are actually there to protect you guys out there, the civilians, um, the people that are not in the uniforms. You know, there's a, a small group of people that run toward an emergency instead of a way like smart people do. Um, and all those uniforms are a big piece of that group that runs there. And when they train on this ship, it just makes it better for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. You know, I'm, I'm reminded, and I don't want to always drag it out, but um, I was on board during the April 19th accident, and there are a smaller group of people that go into the turret than the people that don't. Uh, and um, for those listening who aren't aware, please look it up, April 19th, 1989. Um, and one of the things that uh, I actually wrote an article on was, uh, was entitled Running Aft because my initial damage control station was an after steering and it was about as far away from the incident as you could get. And I really struggled with that for a lot of years. Um, and then uh, my, my sister, who is a Fleet Marine Corps corpsman uh, and used to do volunteer work for uh, Red Cross, pointed out to me, she said, you know, I came in from an incident uh, and I sat down and all I wanted was a shower and a cup of coffee. And uh, one of the volunteers that was running the incident center uh, was sitting there crying. She goes, what's wrong? She goes, I'm not, I'm not a first responder. I'm not out there doing God's work, you know? And Kathy's like, uh, I, I need a shower and a cup of coffee. I can't do what I do without the army of people behind me that are providing the support. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for people who are not in that point of the spear role to understand your role is also important because the people who are at the point of the spear can't do it without the rest of the spear being in, in place. Yeah. So true. Going, going back to 9-11, and, and Kent, I know you want to say something, but just real quick on David's point, the other David's point. Um, one of the things that was actually the hardest, and this list goes on for pages, but one of the hard things of 9-11 was we'd leave that site every day and sometimes hundreds of people would want to hug you and all that stuff. Wow. Well, yeah. I want to hug you, Kat. <laughs> Not him. After the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're wrong, Dave. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was different out here for you, though. You, you guys were just watching all these events back there and probably wondering what to do or what you could do. Was there anything special in Santa Monica that occurred at all? Or Yeah, we like I said before, we had some members that were involved with FEMA, the federal response teams and stuff. Um, they were packing their bags and getting ready to go. Did, did you ever know a Jim Hone, Dave? Yes. Okay. So uh, one of the proud few from Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when he and, left, did that leave anybody there to work? <laughs> a couple of us. So he came back and, and had a lot of stories to tell us, including kind of what you said about trying to get that working relationship with East Coast, FDNY, and that kind of stuff, which took some time. Uh, but once, uh, once it happened and there was mutual respect, they got a lot of things done. So that was yeah. all good. We've seen that in an odd way here. You know, somehow in the last 10 years, we've gotten so much experience of dealing with these large events, high-profile events, high-security events. I'm talking a lot of weapons and just for protection and all kinds of things like that. That sometimes different jurisdictions walk in and they think they're going to be dealing with some mm-hmm. yahoo, and they're not. And it takes us a few minutes for them to kind of come to that understanding that, no, this is, you're just another one of us. <laughs> yeah, not, not the first radio. And it's kind of interesting, the different perspectives. I'll share one other 9-11 story. This one is from my brother. Um, he was in uh, first class petty officer leadership school on September 11th. And uh, he was late to class. And so he walks in and sneaks in and sits down in the back. And they're watching a video of all of this first responder playing into the tower. And he said the, the the biggest mental shift he had to deal with is it took him about 20 minutes to realize this is not a training film, this is the news. And, uh, and, and that was a pretty jarring, jarring move for him. Uh, and I always thought about that. You know, everything is about context. Uh, you, you mentioned we'd done some really big events here and we have, um, I deal a lot with communication. The last big one we did was a POTUS visit and it was really gratifying to hear the head of WACA, the White House Communication uh, group sit down and go. I- I'm sleeping okay because of your staff, and that was um, th- that was a really big deal. But it does take some time. You get people that come in if they don't know you, they don't know you, right? Yeah. And and you've got to establish that credibility. And unfortunately, that's true whether you're in the middle of a crisis or whether you're in the middle of the week. So, yeah, I think that's one of the benefit of some of the uh, first responder training we do on the ship is that we start getting that face recognition. And you know one another, and should, hopefully it never happens, but if we have an incident where we see those guys, that'll improve the situation almost immediately. Actually, I can speak to that. We did have an incident last year. It's coming up on a year away. And, you know, I just walked right up to the battalion chief and said, this is who I am, former merchant marine officer. I'm going to take you in there. And I said, okay, come on in. You know, we, we had the face-to-face. Everybody there on at uh, Engine 1 knew who I was pretty much, or most of them did. You know, and off we went. So, it helps. Yeah, it, it helps a lot. Hopefully we'll never have any kind of a rescue that we might need. We do go down into our tanks sometimes. It's very technical, you know, full harnesses, all that kind of stuff. We can find space entry, but, um, you know, we do it right. And so having those people around, too, is really, really good and really fun. One of the other kind of, to me, unexpected things that's a benefit to, well, the ship, but also to the public safety people it's like Mike was talking about, there's that long list of people that have come here that wear various color uniforms. And we end up being a link between some of those agencies because, mm-hmm. you know, last week CBP was here. This week, that other LA Fire Department, County, something or another, those guys were here. <laughs> the <laughs> other red trucks. Yeah, yeah. 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 not um, the city. And, but <laughs> because 
there's so many moving parts in the public safety field, often they don't know each other. But we've got last week's business cards and we tell these guys, you know what? They had this piece of equipment last week that would be really good for what you're doing. And we create those links by them being here and the people that work with them on the ship can provide to them for information and, and contact. So we actually broaden their network because they come to one place to do their training. Yeah, we also had that competition at least twice down the last few years yeah. called Grimp, where mm-hmm. uh, a company up in Santa Barbara area comes down here and they, they turn the whole place into a jungle gym for a bunch of rescue teams, international rescue teams. Mm-hmm. And then the local fire departments come over and they look at the wares of all the vendors that are here and yeah. they're finding out different things. And then, of course, they, they get accustomed to the ship. And that is, you know, that's a big part of our community pillar. It's part of the the three prongs of our mission here, community veterans and um, education. And uh, being part of that community is huge. We saw it when Mercy came in here, uh, yeah. the benefits of doing DISCA, the benefits of having worked with the first responders. Um, we provided the forward operation base for uh, the um, advance party for Mercy when they came in here, and then we provided some additional administrative support for them. So it is part of what we do. It's not part of what the public sees all the time, but it is a big part of who we are uh, at the National Museum of the Surface Navy. Uh, we are uh, running out of time, so uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. I appreciate the listeners. If you have questions about this podcast or recommendations on future topics, please send an email to podcast at labattleship.com. That's podcast at labattleship.com. I always throw that in there because I despise that domain so much. <laughs> Sorry. but uh, I, French. I did not pick it, but labattleship.com podcast. And um, appreciate your listening and tune in next time for another exciting episode of Scuttlebutt. And thanks so much to Dave and Kent for doing this, especially at this time of year. Mm-hmm.